So I, I just had this moment in that uh, math class with Helen, who's just uh, an award-winning professor. She's really an incredible teacher. And um, I just had this moment where um, I could just see the power of mathematics to help relieve suffering from diseases. Um, and I just decided that's the direction I wanted to go. This is the ORISE Feature Cast, a special edition of Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join Michael Holtz for conversations with ORISE experts on STEM workforce development, scientific and technical reviews, and the evaluation of radiation exposure and environmental contamination. You'll also hear from ORISE research program participants and their mentors as they talk about their experiences and how they are helping shape the future of science. Welcome to the ORISE Feature Cast. Welcome to another episode of the ORISE FeatureCast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Holtz, in the Communications and Marketing Department at ORISE and ORIU. I'm excited today to be talking about the Intelligence Community Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program, and I'm excited to have one of the fellows, Julie Spencer, with us on the program. Dr. Julie Spencer, welcome to the ORISE FeatureCast. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> it's nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what you can about the um, Intelligence Community Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program. Well, you already said my name, so I guess I don't need to say that. <laughs> um, I'm a computational biologist, and I had been working as a grad student as an intern here at Los Alamos National Lab, and this opportunity came up. Uh, in, the, um, in the posting of the topics, research topics available for the IC postdoc fellowship, I just found the perfect match for me and my background and for the skills I was interested in acquiring. So it, uh, it had to do with the drivers of infectious disease, which is what I've been studying. So I just thought, okay, I'll go ahead and apply and see what happens. And I was very surprised to be awarded the fellowship. Really? Well, um, I'm glad you were, because I'm glad we get to have this conversation. Um, I want to just talk briefly about what the fellowship is so the folks who are listening understand the Intelligent Community Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program was established in 2000 to support unclassified basic research in areas of interest to the intelligence community. This is um, a program funded by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, and the program annually supports several postdoctoral fellows from across the United States, um, accredited colleges, universities, and US government laboratories across the country. And in collaboration with research advisors, postdocs develop and submit technical research proposals that align with research opportunities proposed by the intelligence community. Um, and topics, you know, include a wide range of things, Julie, including what you talked about related to infectious diseases. Um, talk about your background and sort of how you. Um, got to the, the point of being interested in infectious diseases? Is it something you have always had an interest in? Um, was it something that sort of while you were pursuing your education, you sort of 
fell into or was it long before that? Thank you for asking that question <laughs> in that way. That helps me be a little concise because I, I was going to ask, do you want the short answer or the long answer? But um, so, yeah, I was um, in my PhD program at the University of New Mexico. And what I started initially studying was the evolution of bacteria and specifically drug resistant um, mycobacterium tuberculosis which is the bacterium that causes tuberculosis uh so i was i was really interested in the mutations that take place that enable this bacterium to be resistant to the drugs that that um are used in tb treatment because it's a pretty serious problem worldwide still um we don't notice it that much in the united states because there is not that much tb in the united states but it still is a um an ongoing problem and could potentially be a problem here um depending <laughs> i don't want to be too too alarmist or anything like that but diseases are what i study so um i started out studying that and then um my uh, primary PhD advisor actually was hired away from University of New Mexico, and there was an applied mathematician and epidemiologist on my committee, Helen Waring, um, and I, I said, will you be my new advisor? And um, I think the reason I was interested in working with her is that I had taken an applied calculus class with her, and she had showed us this um, phase plane diagram that showed the um just kind of the the cycling of the spread of disease so a lot of diseases are seasonal and right. they will just peak uh and then go down to in a valley and peak again and go down into a valley and there's a way of looking at that where you can see that that pattern establishes an equilibrium where it's not really increasing overall and it's not really going away. It's just kind of in equilibrium like the waves of an ocean. And so she she showed us how the system of ordinary differential equations can describe that process. And then also how you just tweak a tiny, the one of the parameters a tiny little bit like the incubation period or the infectious period or the rate of transmission from person to person um, and you can um, actually make the disease go away uh, for wow. uh, and just I mean this is just I say just but this is mathematical modeling sure where you can you can actually play with what will happen to a disease with millions of people is just uh, an award-winning professor. She's really an incredible teacher. And um, I just had this moment where um, I could just see the power of mathematics to help relieve suffering from diseases. Um, and I just decided that's the direction I wanted to go. That's really cool. And of course, we've seen a lot of that, you know, <laughs> we, kind of we be have, remiss, we have <laughs> kind of be recent, remiss to not talk yeah. about the obvious, right? But we, we um, have a recent example. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's still sort of going on. But um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, your work comes into play. It's very um, current of the moment, as they say, and uh, 
continue. So can you talk a little bit about the research work that you're doing now? It's hard to know where to start because I'm working on several different projects simultaneously. Okay. And that's that's been one of the wonderful things about the IC Postdoctoral Research Fellowship is that I've been here at Los Alamos National Laboratory in A1, which is the information systems and modeling group. So we collaborate with a lot of different divisions all across the lab. And there are a lot of multidisciplinary teams that are solving different problems. So one of the really unexpected amazing things is that I've been able to collaborate with a lot of different teams on a lot of different projects. Um, that's really cool. So that's why I'm having trouble trying to figure out where to start. But <laughs> so um, one of the things that I've been working on is um, just trying to forecast dengue in Brazil. And um, I've been working with a relatively simple statistical model. It's just um, linear regression where um, we have this algorithm in R, which is a programming language to um, find the optimal coefficients that will make the best possible equation to forecast based on um, the data that we input. And so I've been, I've been experimenting with a lot of different data streams. And here, here at the um, information and systems and modeling, we, we call it data fusion, where okay. we're just, we're, um, synchronizing a bunch of different data streams, um, maybe satellite data on vegetation or climate data or case count data, definitely case count data from the history of the case counts, and then at different spatial and temporal resolutions. So for Brazil, for dengue, what I've been working on is um, the weekly resolution and at the state level. Okay. And so it's, it's just been kind of this long process of trial and error to try to find the best combination um, to try to predict dengue outbreaks in Brazil. And just for a little bit of background, dengue um, causes 400 million new infections every year. It's a wow. really, really major, that's an estimate, but it's a really major tropical disease that causes a lot of suffering and economic loss. Wow, so that's a big deal, especially in somewhere like Brazil, where you've got a lot of tropical landscape, right? Yeah, so yeah, most of Brazil is tropical. A little bit in the southern part is more in the higher elevations is more temperate. Um, so um, dengue is famously difficult to forecast. Okay. And one of the reasons for that is that it doesn't, um, it isn't transmitted from human being to human being like, like COVID-19, for example, right. um, it is transmitted by mosquitoes. So in order for dengue to spread, a mosquito has to bite an infected person, and then the virus has to travel through the system of the mosquito to get to the salivary glands, and that takes a few days. And then the mosquito has to still be alive after that process is completed, and which is highly temperature dependent, but I'll get on that, I'll get to that. So, um, and then if the mosquitoes, uh, if the virus has traveled to the mosquito's salivary glands, and then the mosquito is still alive, and then it bites another human, that's where it uh, 
gets transmitted to the next human and spreads. So, um, so there are a lot of factors in that. Yeah. In that so transmission, but it sounds like that's what you're looking at. Or... Yeah. So there's a lot of mosquito biology involved. Um, and it is kind of fun and interesting because I'm a biologist and I've ended up working with a lot of applied mathematicians and I'm not primarily a mathematician, but okay. that's the wonderful thing about multidisciplinary teams is that on a team, you can have a biologist, a mathematician, a statistician, a computer scientist who can help with automating the code. I mean, I can write research code, but I am not a computer scientist. So right, I right. really appreciate the help from the computer scientists. And, but anyway, so, um, the mosquito, I feel that I bring, um, what I bring to this project is careful consideration of the mosquito biology. Okay. Because that's my background. And I can, I can do basic um, systems of or, ordinary differential equations and I can derive R not, R not and um, I can um, do a sensitivity analysis, but compared to a real applied mathematician, my skills are pretty basic in, the, in that area. So um, anyway, what the, um, where we feel like we've been able to make progress is that we're looking carefully at how the, the mosquito's life is affected by changes in temperature. Okay. And it is pretty complex because what we've found is that as the temperature gets a little bit warmer, um, the virus moves through the mosquito's body faster. Mm. However, <laughs> when the temperature gets to a certain level, and then this is for um, a species, Aedes aegypti, which okay. is the primary mosquito species that spreads dengue. There are other mosquitoes that do it, but we're looking at Aedes aegypti. So when you get to about 30 degrees Celsius, uh, the mosquito's lifespan starts decreasing substantially. So then you start closing the window um, of transmission because there's a shorter and shorter period of time where um, the virus has reached the mosquito's salivary glands and the mosquito is still alive. And then wow. you get up hotter, uh, 35C, and the mosquitoes just all die and you have no dengue. So it's it's almost feels like there's a race of the factors, right? Like is it yeah, hot? So, is the, yeah, is, some of the some of the um some of the ways that mosquitoes are affected by temperature are actually contradictory. And so we're trying to capture that. And um, a lot of other really good research has been done on this. Um, for example, Aaron Mordecai has really been a pioneer in this field. And so it's been just fascinating reading that. I guess that's part of the job, reading all the work that people sure. have done and then trying to improve on it a little bit. Right, right. Um, so, Julie, let me ask you, have you, has science always been an interest to you? Like, as a, as a kid, did you dream of working in the sciences, of being a scientist? Yeah. So, um, when I was um, about 10, someone gave me a chemistry set. Okay. And about the same time, my parents bought a I'm afraid this is going to date me a little bit. My parents bought a world book encyclopedia, oh, which, yeah. which just, I mean, that just kind of opened up a whole world to me. And 
so I would just sit there and read it. And I wanted to know what everything was made of. I wanted to know how everything worked. And I always entered the science fair in my school and that kind of stuff. But so the the memory, <laughs> the memory I have about that chemistry set is that there was uh, a list of experiments and I just started going through the list of experiments and doing them. And I came to this one where it said, okay, fill a beaker about half full of water. And then um, there was this little chunk of pure sodium in okay. the, uh, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with what pure sodium does in when you um, throw it in water, but, but it said the instructions were to throw the chunk of pure sodium into the beaker of water and I had no idea what was going to happen so I threw it in there and it just lit on fire and started skating around the surface of the water and then there was this poof and I I just was kind of uh you know as a 10 year old I was pretty impressed and I um it was a very memorable occasion and I thought hey science is pretty cool <laughs> I, I think I think a lot of scientists um have something like that sure yeah there's sort of x-factor moment of like this is what i'm gonna do yeah i love it um i've had recent conversation with other scientists who use data and they talk about the multidisciplinary team and you know our our sort of vision you know the cartoon vision of the scientist having the eureka moment you know sort of in the lab by themselves doesn't really happen much anymore right because you have to work with you know as you said the mathematicians and the data scientists and the you know the engineers and all of that so um just i guess talk about that again just in terms of how important it is to be part of that multidisciplinary team and and you know as you said you're doing you're on a number of projects because you're not just focused on one thing because of that sort of multidisciplinary focus yeah, so I I can't I just <clears throat> I feel like I'm kind of on a soapbox about the multidisciplinary team thing because it's just been the most wonderful thing about working here and that's why I plan to have a career at Los Alamos National Lab now. Um so it has been particularly interesting having statisticians on every team because ideally you would always have a statistician on a team because they help with the experimental design and make it so your results are actually meaningful. <laughs> and uh, I think what happens a lot, especially with biologists, is that you, you collect data from the field or you collect data from the literature or something like that. And then you have an idea, you have a hypothesis, you're testing your hypothesis. But if, if you don't have really advanced training in statistics, um, you might not be too clear on exactly how you're testing that hypothesis and how robust your results will be and how they'll stand up. And so if you have a statistician from the very beginning, they will say, uh, you're, wait, that, that particular test doesn't really apply to this type of data. And they just know that on the tops, tops of their wow. heads. And then you don't have to wait until later, until you've done a whole year of work. And then, and then you say to the statistician, oh, can you, you know, can you help me brush up the stats so I can write a paper on this? And they're like, um, actually, you're, you're going to have to do this all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just one example. And then, um, 
I've had this wonderful computer scientist on my team who's actually a student. Um, her name okay. is Martha Barnard, and she's a postback. She or she's she actually just finished a year as a, a postback intern at Los Alamos Lab, and um, she is so good at programming in R. So I will write this this very rough code to accomplish this task and run this algorithm to do this forecasting. And then I will send it to her. And then uh, she'll, I will have written about 100 lines of code. And you'll, she'll send it back to me and it'll be 20 lines of code. And um, I'm sure everyone's had that experience. Um, but or I don't know if they have or not. But uh, and she's so just so cheerful and helpful about it. And she teaches me how to do it. So then next time I can do it that way. So um, that's pretty awesome collaboration. And sure. um, anyway, she Martha is a rock star and she's now gotten an NSF um, fellowship to go get a PhD at the University of Minnesota in biostatistics. Very cool. So there's collaboration and mutual learning and and all of that so it sounds really like an amazing experience all the way around um not to give you a leading question but would you recommend the intelligence community postdoctoral research fellowship to other people yeah so um i i kind of feel like this fellowship isn't as well known as it should be and i am just a really enthusiastic uh I don't know. I don't know what the word is really, but um, salesperson for this <laughs> this fellowship. <laughs> so I have I have had the most amazing two years. It's been absolutely incredible because there's a travel allowance, okay. uh, and so I got to go to New Orleans to the American Geophysical Union and met all kinds of. I met some of the foremost um, mosquito-borne virus researchers in the country and have ongoing collaborations with them. I got to go to Columbus, Ohio, to this amazing climate resilience um, conference sponsored by the Department of Energy. And I had I met, I met um, collaborators there. And then more recently, I got to go to Canada, to Kelowna, Canada, to a pandemic um, prep preparedness uh, workshop was some of the foremost infectious disease specialists in the world. There were people, there were only 20 people there and okay. from 10 different countries. Wow. And um, Odo Diekman was there who invented the concept of r not from the Netherlands. And just as one example, but um, right. I looked at the list of presenters and I recognized 15 out of 20 of the names just from papers that I had read. And I got to go um, collaborate with and brainstorm with these people as an equal. It was like, I think my conspiracy or what it, what is it, what's it called? Imposter syndrome. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think that's permanently cured. <laughs> that's good um, to know. So yeah, I just, I just had to, to plug the, the travel and presenting at conferences. And I've had the opportunity to present uh, because of this fellowship. I've had the opportunity to present my research and network at 10 different conferences and oh, workshops. Wow. That's amazing. Um, so I hadn't really expected that either, that there would be just all this really fun travel and networking and ongoing collaborations and so um, I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, it's um, this fellowship provides you the opportunity to focus on a project, um, whereas I think a lot of 
um, postdoc opportunities probably have so many other responsibilities that it's hard to focus on your project. Okay. Um, so there's a kind of freedom in having that salary and that support and the travel funding. Um, and um, oh, I, I don't want to forget to mention that the mentorship has been just um, really priceless. Um, so Tony Guy Robertson and Eric Scully have been my um, ORI's mentors, okay. Oak Ridge Institute of Science and Education, and then Carrie Manor has been my on-site Los Alamos National Lab mentor. And so the quality of the mentorship is just outstanding. They've been so generous with their time and their advice and um, telling me about invisible ropes and things like that I would not have known about. And I, with those, I, without those mentors, I don't think I would have done anything. Wow, that's amazing. Um, in terms of sort of paying it forward from a mentorship perspective, do you do you look forward to the opportunity to mentor others? Um, yeah, so that's uh, the perfect next question because I, I know this is just gonna sound over the top, but I am so grateful for the quality of the mentoring that I'm actually on fire to pass that torch and be, an amazing mentor myself because no one pays anyone to be that good of a mentor that's not really in the job description but it's part right. of the culture um and i do think it's an important culture for uh training the next generation of scientists awesome um julie is there anything i haven't asked you that you want to make sure and say about either your experience or about the fellowship itself I, I don't know. I think I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, okay. I just think that um, part of what's really nice about the design of this fellowship is that you get to work with a mentor at a national lab or a university or another institution. And so um, you're just not in a vacuum working on your research problem. You're um, working with um, just amazingly amazing people and um uh i guess i want to quote one of my mentors sarah del valle in in saying people first mission always so i i know it's might be a little cheesy but um that's become my personal motto awesome i love it well we will leave it there and recommend that folks take a look at the IC Postdoctoral Research Fellowship Program and apply, put themselves out there for this amazing experience. Dr. Julie Spencer, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and talking about your experience as a fellow. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a great day. You too. Thank you for listening to the O-Rise Featurecast. To learn more about the Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education, visit orise.orau.gov or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Orise Connect. The Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education is managed by ORAU for the U.S. Department of Energy.